Picture Bride, Chapter 34. It was Sunday, and Tarot and Hannah started out early for church. It took them at least 20 minutes to walk to church in the center of camp since Tara walked so slowly, head down, watching the ground. Papa, must you always walk looking down? Hannah asked, not wanting to be late for church. Go on, I'll catch up, Tarot answered. Ever since he and Kenji had found two perfect arrowheads and a fine trilobite one day, Taro had succumbed to collector's fever. He never went out now without keeping a close watch on the ground. At least he's taken an interest in something, Kenji confided to Hana, and that's good for him. Hana was glad for Taro's new interest in his desert findings, but even more for his deeper friendship with Kenji. Taro talked often with him, and it was Kenji to whom he had taken Kanita's letter. It's hard to know what God has in store for each of us, Kenji had said. Perhaps there's work for Dr. Kanita to do in Japan. He may find the fulfillment there that he was denied in this country. Accept his decision in peace and try now to start a new life for yourself and Mrs. Takeda. Perhaps you could look for work outside. We must all think about going out beyond the barbed wire. To what? Taro asked. To the kind of hatred that killed Henry Toda? There has always been hatred, Mr. Takeda. You've known it before in California. You've survived in spite of it. I was younger then. And now... I haven't the strength to go to a strange city to seek new roots. I want to wait here until the war ends, and I can go home again to Oakland. What will you do there? Begin again, but at least I will be home. Taro turned more and more to the desert for solace. It fascinated him in a strange way as it gave up its treasures from the past. You can be happy here in the desert then? Hana asked. I would not call it happiness. What then? Acceptance. There's no other way to find peace. Then you don't want to go out and find a job? Picking sugar beets in Idaho or being a houseboy in Chicago? I know you don't want that, Papa. Someday we'll go back to California, Taro said patiently. I'd do any kind of work there. We could both work and maybe earn enough to buy back my shop. Wouldn't you like that? Yes, I would, Papa. Well then, be patient. Accept what has to be. One day, perhaps this country will redeem itself. Hana would not push Taro anymore. He had had enough of her assertiveness in his life. She would try now, as Taro always had, to accept quietly what life brought. So Hana tried to accept the desert, but she hated its brittle, dry growth and the creatures it sheltered. She was afraid of the scorpions that she sometimes found in her shoes, and she longed for the sight of something green and for the sound of the song sparrows. One morning, she had seen two seagulls winging their way across the sky, and the sight of them had filled her with such longing for San Francisco Bay, she almost wept. For several months, they had watched anxiously as trees were brought in and planted throughout camp, but none had survived the heat or the hostile soil. Now they thrust barren limbs into the sky as their roots shriveled in the sand. Hana and Taro passed dozens of these skeletal trees as they walked to church. When they arrived, the pianist was already playing the prelude. They quickly found a place on one of the benches, and Hana was pleased to see that Kenji Nishima was preaching that day. She thought he seemed particularly handsome as he stood at the lectern. His face was serene, and his hair, now touched with gray at the temples, gave him a look of dignity. Sumiko's love for him had given him new dimensions, and there was no one in camp who could not turn to him for sustenance or comfort. He had become a giving, loving person, a true man of God. Hana felt proud of him and allowed a moment's pride in herself as well. He is one person I can truly say I have helped, she thought hoping perhaps God might feel, at last, that she had redeemed herself. As Kenji spoke, the desert wind began to howl, and Hana felt it difficult to concentrate on what he said. Dear God, please not another dust storm, she prayed. The dust storms terrified her, and with each storm she feared Sumiko's mother would die of suffocation. 
Hana could see the dust swirling outside, and soon the screaming wind caused the dust to seep like smoke into the church. The windows rattled. Pebbles rained like hail on the glass, and garbage cans, boxes, anything not secured, were hurled against the building like toys. The sound of coughing rippled through the congregation, and people covered their noses and mouths with handkerchiefs. Hannah felt the building quiver and instinctively clung to Taro's arm. Kenji, sensing the mounting anxiety of the people, stopped in the middle of his sermon. I'd like to read to you from the book of Joshua, he said calmly. Please listen. Be strong and of good courage. Be not frightened, neither be thou dismayed. For thy Lord, thy God, is with you wherever you go. He is with us here and now. Do not be afraid. A woman screamed as the wind suddenly flung open the door and the entire desert seemed to pour into the building. Mama, mama, a child cried out in terror. Kenji rushed from the pulpit to help secure the door. Then raising his hand, he hurriedly gave the benediction. The storm might last for hours, but when there was a lull, he knew he must try to get home. Those needing help to return to their barrack, please come forward. We will try to find people going back to the same block. I will go with anyone who needs me, he offered. And Sumiko gathered the older people who wanted someone to accompany them. Hana tied her scarf around her head, covering most of her face, ready to leave the moment the wind subsided a little. They would certainly not be any safer in their own barrack, but an instinctive urge to be in her own room surpassed her fear of facing the storm. Do you want to go now? Taro asked. Yes, I can't bear to stay here another minute. They plunged out together in the sea of dust, feeling like two blind people. The powdery dust swept about them like great billowing veils of white, and they could not see more than ten feet ahead. Hana felt the sting of pebbles and sand raining against her legs, and she gasped as they stumbled on. Every few yards, Tara would draw her toward a barrack where they would rest for a moment and then plunge on. Sometimes the wind pushed them, almost lifting them off their feet, while the next instant it flung angry fistfuls of dust in their faces. Hana thought of seeking shelter as they passed a laundry barrack, but she could not open her mouth to suggest it to Taro. They clung to each other and struggled on, passing other huddled figures plodding in the same opposite direction. When at last they reached the room, it was smoky with dust. A layer of white covered everything. Hana tasted the dust in her mouth and tried to shake the dust from her clothing. It's lunchtime, Taro said, looking at his watch, but Hana could not think about food. She felt as though she had just swallowed half the desert. She was dizzy and lightheaded. Retching, she crept into her dusty bed and stayed there the rest of the day. By evening, the wind died down, the stars came out, and it was as though there had never been a dust storm. Sumiko and Kenji came to see if they were all right and brought news that upset Hana even more than the dust storm. The doctors tell me Mama must get out of the desert, Sumiko began. They say we must take her out to Salt Lake City where the air is clean and clear. And you will go with her? I must. And Kenji-san, you too? Sumiko and her mother will go first. I will stay here and be useful as long as I can. But you must apply for permission to join them soon, Taro concluded. Your place is beside your wife, no matter how much we need you here. Kenji looked troubled and pained. I cannot bear to leave all of you behind, he said. And yet, now my work is on the outside. There I could look for a job and sponsors to enable you and others to be released from camp. You will give serious thought to applying to leave for clearance before too long, won't you? He asked. Taro nodded, but said nothing. They all knew how he felt, and Hana knew that the two of them would probably remain in camp until the terrible war came to an end.